can I, can I preach? Can I preach? Uh, hey, there's a change order. Just hang with me upstairs. Everybody say change order. <laughs> um, rather than starting in Psalms, I want to start in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. Turn there with me really quick. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. I didn't say sit down. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. Listen, I'm not going to say much to set that up. I will say this. That particular narrative of Scripture is God is about to anoint the future king of Israel. He's told Samuel, the great prophet, to go to Jesse's house because one of Jesse's sons, he's got eight will be the future king. Samuel's not doesn't know who that person is, but God says you'll recognize him when you see him. And uh, Samuel doesn't even know that Jesse has eight sons. He just goes to Jesse's house, and, and, and he looks at all of Jesse's sons, seven of them, and there's some confusion in the place because the eighth son doesn't even get invited to the king's selection party. He's out in the field. Jesse only invited seven. Um, you can imagine the rejection that he felt. You can imagine the insecurity that was in his life. But here's what it says in verse 10. It says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons that you have? He said, there is still the youngest. Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise. Everybody say rise. Mm. And anoint him. This is the one. Mm. Everybody say rise. rise. Rise up. There is this thing that's happening, insecurity, rejection, David being overlooked, undervalued, not appreciated. All of that is happening. I want you to file that away. We'll come back to it in a few minutes. Now I want to take you to the narrative of Scripture that I believe God is going to use to speak to us today, which David writes years later. And he's recounting what happened in his life beginning at that moment all the way through his kingship. Psalms verse, or chapter 139 verses 1 through 18 is the narrative that I believe God is going to use today to build your faith. You see, God sometimes has a way of bringing series together. And as a staff, we can have a creative meeting and we can plan series months in advance. But sometimes God, Donna, he uses a, a, a unique set of circumstances to bring about a series or a message. Like I could be preaching a series or a message about a completely different subject and be preaching that message on a Sunday morning and God drops something in my spirit that I don't have time to articulate and then later I'll come back to it. Sometimes he'll birth a message or a series that way. And so last week I'm preaching a message called Leverage That Place. 
And before I came on the stage, God led me to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 8, where David writes that, who am I that God is mindful of me? Who am I that God is mindful of me? He was saying that God knows me. Not just that God is cognizant of, uh, of who I am, that he's aware of who I am, but that he's deeply engaged in my existence. Not just that God knows or has a knowledge of my name, but he wants to be intimately involved in my life. That he's not just there because I exist. He's, he's not just aware of my existence, but he's actively engaged in my existence. And so there are several things that we can understand when we read a verse like that that should enlighten our spirits. Because it makes verses like that he's an ever-present help in a time of trouble come to life. It makes verses like he has a plan for you. Not a plan to harm you, but a plan to prosper you it makes verses like that come to life why because we have a God who knows us we ought to celebrate the fact that we have a God who knows us he's keenly aware of everything that we're going through everything that's happening in our lives we ought to celebrate that fact not just is he an ever-present help in a time of trouble but the Bible says that he shall supply for all of our needs according to his riches and glory somebody give him praise I want to stay in that same vein of conversation this morning where David writes in Psalms 8, who am I that God is mindful of me? If you'll remember last week when I read that verse, here's where it all got started for me in my spirit. Last week, I, I reminded you of the old adage, it's all in who you know. How many of you have heard that before? Making reference to the fact that your ability to succeed in that certain situation has everything to do with who you know. However, I have a mentor who says that's not really a truthful statement. It's not all in who you know, but it's all in who knows you. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, it's all in who knows you. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's all in who knows you. You see, I think there's a spiritual connotation to that thought process. It's all in who knows you. The God of grace that created the heavens and the earth, he knows you. He's not just aware of your existence. He's actively involved in your, exist, in your existence. In fact, here's what, here's what uh, David writes. Just remain, remain on your feet for a minute. Here's what he writes in Psalms chapter 139. Psalms 139. Let me find it. Here's what he writes. He says this. Everybody say, I'm there. He says, you searched me, Lord. You know me. There it is. You have searched me, Lord. Here's David again, years later, after the first Samuel chapter 16 experience. He says, you know me, Lord. You have searched me. The God that created everything that you can see and everything that you cannot see. The seen things, the unseen things. He knows you. Watch what David writes. He says, verse 2, he says, you know when I sit and you know when I rise. Everybody say rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. <laughs> Hold on a second. We need to illustrate this. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. We need to illustrate this. You know when I sit. Everybody be seated. You know when I sit. And you know when I rise. He knows that half of you refuse to rise. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. Everybody rise, rise, rise. You know when I rise. I love this. 
I'm trying to prove a point to you that the God of all grace knows everything about you. He, he knows when you sit. He knows when you rise. He knows when you sit, you can sit down. And he knows when you want to stay seated, so stay seated. Let me finish reading this. He says, you know when I sit, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. He says, you know when I sit, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts. I love this. Because only David could write something like this. Only David could experience the floor of the desert and use it as a place to rise up. Only David who can write the 23rd Psalms. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David had an uncanny ability to use the floor of the desert as a place to rise up for God. Some of you need to begin to rise up in your situation. Some of you need to begin to rise up and become all that God has called you to be. Rise up as a mom. Rise up as a dad. Rise up as a husband. Rise up as a wife. Rise up as an employer. Rise up as an employee. Rise up as a student. Some of you need to rise up when you don't feel love. Rise up in love. When somebody says you're nothing but a failure, rise up in the success that God created you to be. Good God Almighty. I better stop before I start preaching. Good heavens. Look at your neighbor and say, it's all in who knows you. Hmm. Thank you, D. Let me continue to read. It says in verse 3, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise, everybody say rise. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I need to pause there for a moment because I don't know who this is for exactly, but what you need to understand is that when David wrote this psalm, he wrote it in the form of a song. And so when the Jewish crowd 2,500 years ago would hear this, there was a certain tune, a certain rhythm to this song. You know me, Lord. You search my heart. I don't know if that was it. I was just saying, you know. But there was a certain song, there was a certain sound, there was a certain rhythm that played out when they heard this. Their minds went to the goodness of God, the grace of God, the, the knowledge that God knows us. But here's the problem. The problem is so many times in their lives and in our lives, let's just keep it real, what is happening in our lives seems to be contradictory to what this psalm says. Because it seems like what we're going through does not prove that he knows me because we begin to even wonder, is he aware of what's going on in my life? Hello? And so sometimes we're left asking God the question, God, why this? Where's God at in this? Have you ever asked that question? 
It's like in 2016, for Kim and I, it was a very difficult year because of her mother, who was battling cancer all year long on the brink of death and then not, on the brink of death and then not, on the brink of death and then not, on the brink of death and then not. And now she's battling dementia and we're her caregivers and it's like God trying to lead a church and trying to lead a family and trying to take care of her. But then there's also like um, 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 Jack Stillman. We all know Jack. We brought him up on this stage. He's a young father. He's, I brought his whole family up on this stage. He's 20, I don't know, three years old. He's got kids, and, 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 but yet he's in and out of the hospital battling cancer. Or maybe it's a crisis in your life, or, or, or maybe it's, it's a financial crisis, a relational crisis, it's a, it's a, it's a, a failure, it, it's, it's a job that's not working out. It, it's, you're going through life and you're wondering where God's at in this, and you're like, no one seems to appreciate me, no one seems to recognize me. The things that I'm doing, no one even takes recognition of them. No one seems to know that I'm a person too, that, that I have feelings as well, and it seems like everybody notices someone else's giftings, but they don't notice my giftings, they don't see the value you in me and I feel left out and I feel like I'm in the field and I'm not even invited to the party and what in the world's going on I don't understand it seems like everybody else is 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 going over my head to get the promotion that I thought that I deserved I don't seem to be getting what I thought I deserved and then what's happening in your life the worship that is coming out of your mouth is drowned out by the situation in your life and I've said this to you before but I need you to grab this in your spirit this morning Where you are, or even where you have been, is not an indicator of who you are or where you're going. You need to grab that. Where you are or where you have been, it's not an indicator of who you are or where you're going. You see, this song, if you will, was was a praise song that was written that the people would continue to praise but yet they still had problems in their lives and they didn't understand what was happening and they didn't realize what was going on. And, but, but they continued to, to sing praise to God. But, but, but listen, this is for someone specifically. You feel undervalued, underappreciated, unrecognized. You feel left out. I don't know what it is that's going on in your life, but you feel all of those things. But what I do need to say to you is how would your worship change if you knew that God was about to bring you out? How would your worship change if you knew that God was about to say, rise up, I'm going to take you into your destiny. Good Lord. How would you praise God at that moment? If you only knew what God knew. You see, where you are, where you've been, is not an indicator of who you are. But God is using that situation in your life to influence the people that you do know. Hold on a second. When you think about that in connection to this psalm, David's emphasis was not on the fact of where he had been. Notice that. David's David's emphasis in this passage of Scripture was not on the fact of where he had been, but who was with him when he was there. Not on the fact of where he had been, but who was with him when he had been there. You see, the enemy thinks he's done enough to hold you down. But according to verse 10, verse 10 says that God is lifting you up with his right hand. His right hand is steadfast upon you. Only David could write this passage of Scripture. Only David, because David understood rejection. David understood being misunderstood, undervalued, unappreciated, rejected. 
David understood that. You see, David did not receive the throne due to conventional means. It was not because he knew someone. It was because someone knew him. God elevated him. God positioned him. God placed him on the throne. And he told Samuel, rise up and anoint him. Let me, let me just give you some theological commentary on this passage because I don't know that if you just read it that you fully grasp what is happening in Psalms chapter 139. But it's actually one of the most unique Psalms in the Bible because it comes from several different literary positions. It's a Psalm of meditation. It's a Psalm of prayer. It's a Psalm of praise. It's a, it's a hymn. It's a lament Psalm. It's written and broken up into four different stanzas, six verses in each stanza. And the predominant theme in this passage of Scripture is the word know. Six different times it says that God knows you. What is David trying to teach us? You see, what David was trying to do for the crowd that would read this story, the audience that would actually sing this song, and the audience that 2,500 years later would actually be listening to a message about this song, he was trying to articulate for them, clarify for them who God really was. Because if you did not understand who God really was, if you had a misconception of who God was, you would not understand who you were in relation to God. And if you didn't understand who you were in relation to God, then you would go down the wrong road and therefore you would miss your destiny. So he writes, God, you search me and you know me. You know me, God. You see, David is trying to identify for that Jewish crowd with a clarion description of who God is. Because you see, every other God during David's day, all of the pagan gods, the people who would worship these pagan gods, they always believed that those pagan gods were hostile or indifferent to men and women. But not David's God. Because David says, I, I, I worship the one true God. And he searches me out. He knows me. See, in the Hebrew, the original text, that, that statement, he knows me, it doesn't mean that he just has a knowledge of you. It doesn't mean that he, he created everything. It means that he created me and he created you. It doesn't mean that he knows everything. It means that he knows everything about you. It, it doesn't mean that he's everywhere. It means that he's everywhere with you. Are you grabbing the personalization the intimacy of this passage of Scripture. Think about it in context to, to David's life for a moment. Think about it, how we began this message in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Here is the great prophet Samuel. God says, I want you to go to Jesse's house. Because at Jesse's house, the, the future king of Israel is there. It's one of Jesse's sons. Go there and anoint him as the future king of Israel. The great prophet Paul Samuel goes there. Jesse finds out that he's coming. Jesse preps all of his sons. He has his sons there. When Samuel gets there, the first son that he sees is the eldest son, Eliab. Or Eliab, however you want to say his name. And when Samuel sees him, he says to him, This must be the one. 
This must be the one. He takes the horn of oil and takes the cork off of it. And he's about to pour it on his head. And God says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm looking for the one with the right heart. No, he's not the one. Jesse brings the second son. No, the third son. No, the fourth son. No, the fifth son. No, the sixth son. No, the seventh son. No, the number for completion in the Bible is the number seven. So it was a complete no. And so here is Jesse scratching his head saying, what in the world's going on here? I thought it was going to be one of my sons. And here is Samuel saying, God, hold on a second. I, I thought you sent me here from a long distance. I thought it was going to, I don't understand this. I thought I was going to anoint one of Jesse's sons. And then all of a sudden he says, are, are these all of your sons? And I'm paraphrasing and I'm adding, I'm taking a little liberty with this. But if you know anything about the history of David's life, this probably happened. Are these all of your sons, Jesse? And he's like, all of the ones I'm proud of. Well, you have to have another. He said, yeah, I do, but he's in the field. Notice he never even gave him his name. He didn't even say, yeah, I have a son. His name's David. No, he said, yeah, are these all of your sons? Yeah, the ones that I'm proud of or the ones that I thought were worthy of being king. But do you have another? He's in the field. He said, send for him. And I'll wait. Theologians and scholars and preachers, we preach this passage of Scripture talking about the rejection that David must have felt when he left the field and he comes to the house where there was a party for the, the king's selection party and he realizes that he was not even invited, how rejected he must have felt. But in all reality, if you know anything about David, this was not the first time that he had felt rejection. <laughs> there had been a pattern of rejection in his life. You'll even see it later. Before he ever fights Goliath, one of his brothers said, you can't even tend the sheep, the few sheep that you're supposed to tend. You need to go back. You ain't nothing but a sandwich delivery boy. The rejection. It was a repetitive pattern in his life. But yet in the midst of all of that rejection, he says, God, you know me. You search me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. God, you know the very thoughts before they ever become words. Then he says something in verse 5 that is probably one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible if you really grab the word picture that he's painting. He says in verse 5, he says, and you hem me in from behind and in front. He says, you hem me in from behind and in front. You need to understand what's happening here because this is one of the most beautiful grace-filled verses because what David is essentially saying is that he's protected on all sides and that nothing can get to David without first having permission from God. Oh, Lord. Some of your translations say that God's hand is upon him, painting this image of grace that God is pouring out upon him. But there's greater depth than even that, especially for the Jewish reader 2,500 years ago. In fact, I, I need a couple of volunteers. I want to do something. James, I, I want you and um, 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 Charlie. Come on, come on, come on, come on, right here. Come up on stage. 
Everybody say James and Charlie. Everybody say Charlie and James. Everybody say rise up. Mm. I'm going to use you as an illustration. What I need you to do is just come on this side. All right. I want you to stand right here. And I want you to stand right here. Okay. You're not going to be looking at me, but you're going to stand. Okay. All right. Stay right where you're at. Now, when the Bible says that he was, he hemmed David in from before and behind, he's painting an image for all of the Jewish people. Because the last time that they had heard this concept, their minds go back to a time when they were leaving Egypt and going into the promised land. And the Bible says that God hemmed the Israelites in from before and behind. The Bible says that God hemmed them in with a pillar of cloud. You're the cloud. And then he hemmed them in from behind with a pillar of fire. You're the fire. Charlie, you're the fire. And you're the cloud. You just stand there, okay? Now, now here's what you need to understand. He gave them the pillar of cloud, and he gave them the pillar of fire when it was hot during the day. Thanks, Charlie. When it was hot during the day, the cloud became comfort. When it was cold in the desert at night, the fire became comfort. Now, walk. I'm in the middle. Come, Char Charlie, you got to follow, man. Come on. All right, you got, I'm in the middle, okay? I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle. So everywhere they went, come, keep going straight, I'm going to guide you. Everywhere they went, there was a cloud before them, and there was a fire behind them. The cloud and the fire. The cloud and the fire represented the presence of God. Now, hang on a second. When they came out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery, there was the, the cloud, there was the fire. After they came out of Egypt, all of the insecurities that were with them, there was God. After they came out, all of the problems that they had, all of the, the brokenness that they had, there was God. When they were confused, there was God. When they didn't know what to do, there was God. When they didn't know where they were going, there was God. Right, hold on a second. When you're broken in your marriage, there is God. When you're broken in your finances, there is God. When you're broken in all of your situations, there, when you're having the crisis in your life, there is God. When you're on top of the mountain, there is God. When you're in the valley of the shadow of death, there is God. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Why? Because I've been hemmed in on all sides by God. Hold on. Stop right here. Now, I don't know if you're grabbing this, but how many of you know the Bible... In a roundabout way, in a paraphrased way, the Bible says that, that we're to keep God in the middle of everything that we do. But according to this, God keeps us in the middle. Hold on a second, because there's some beauty there. God keeps us in the middle. Oh, 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 here we go again. So we're in the middle. We don't know where we're going, but God knows where we're going. He's leading us. We, we don't know. The Bible says his hand is upon us. We don't know where we're going, but we're hemmed in from before and behind. We don't like where we're at, but God is taking us somewhere. We may not like what's going on in our lives, but it's not an indicator of who we are. We might not have been invited to the party, but God has us hemmed in from before and behind. We may not like what's going on, but God has a plan. All we have to do is 
us rest in the fact that we are hemmed in by the presence of God, that his arms are around us, his protection is before us. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, we're in the middle. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, we're in the middle. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, I'm in the middle. Hang on a second. This is for someone. Because some of you are so destination focused that you are missing the fact that God has you hemmed in. And the place that you are in right now is only training for where he's taking you. Hold on. Some of you need to stop being so destination minded that you lose the fact that God has you hemmed in every step of the way. Verses 13 and 14. Let me move on. Let me move on. Verses 13 and 14. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Wow. Verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. He said, I know that full well. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. I need you to think about this with me for a moment. First, David, he's, he's rejected, and then he becomes a shepherd, and then he, he becomes a soldier, and then he becomes a hero, and then he becomes a poet, and then he becomes the king. And David is saying, none of that stuff would have even taken place in my life had you not had me hemmed in. How would your praise differ if you saw God the way David saw God? If you realized that he had you hemmed in, how would you praise him if you knew that this morning God was about to cause you to rise up and to walk into your destiny? Can somebody give God praise as if he's already done what I'm talking about? How would you praise him, church? I got to move. I'm going somewhere. Tell your neighbor he's going somewhere. It's about to get deep. Verse 15 says, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Hold on a second. Bible said God knows the end from the beginning. The Bible is talking about how God knew him in his mother's womb. Hold on. But David goes one step further. David says, even before all of that happened, in the beginning, you knew me. You knew me. You knew what I would go through. You knew where I would be. You knew where I wouldn't be. You knew when I would sit down. You knew when I would rise up. Anytime you see, anytime you see these two verses, they're always paralleled with a verse in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Put it up for me. I, I don't even know if I gave you that, but find it. There you go. Good. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, here's the apostle Paul 
adding to the soliloquy of David, telling us something. He says, for he chose us. Everybody say, he chose us. You ought to circle that in your Bible or write it if you're taking notes because you're going to heaven. For he chose us in him. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Hold on a second. <laughs> to be holy and blameless in his sight and in love. Hold on a second. For he chose us. He chose us. He chose us. There is great depth to this verse. He chose us. Some of your translations say before the foundations of the earth. He knew you. He had a plan for you. A plan not to harm you, but a plan to prosper you. It's that word chose, though, that carries such strength. Because the word chose in the Greek, the original language, the word chose translated into our language, the word chose in the Greek is the word eklego. Translated into our language, it is... It means this. It's a phrase. It means out, I say. It means out, I say. Out, I say. It's like a calling out, Teresa. It's out, I say. Used in classical Greek writing, it was used to express a select person or a select group of people for a very specific mission. Sometimes taught it was even used as a military term, which meant you've got a special mission that you must complete. Eklego. The more that I studied this word, I found out that when it's used in that terminology, which anyone who was reading it during the day of Paul would have understood it in this terminology, it not only means out, I say, but it has a secondary meaning, which means rise up. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. Rise up. Put that verse back up for me. Ephesians 1 verse. Yeah, put that verse back up there. For he chose us. Rise up. Hold on a second. Rise up in him. Because he had a plan for you before the foundations of the world were even laid. Hold on a second. Rise up. Out, I say, Eclego, rise up, rise up, rise up. What is Paul saying to us? What is David saying to us in Psalm chapter 139? Understanding the context of David's life, you need to understand that what God is saying to you today is that you've got to rise up. You've got to rise up in your situation and use the influence that God has given you to change the environment that is around you. You've got to rise up and be all that God created you to be. You've got to rise up and do all that God has called you to do. You need to understand, you did not sneak into existence. God spoke you into existence. And the Bible says that his word will not return void. That means your life will not return void. God is going to use you to complete the destiny that he has for you. Why? Because your success is not determined by who you know, but rather by who knows you. Good God Almighty, somebody give him praise up in this place. Why? Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He chose me. <laughs> Come on and praise him. So rise up. Rise up. Rise up. Because it's not in who you know. It's in who knows you. <laughs> 